Now, there's something God has put in my spirit that I want to make sure I get out today because I'm excited about it because I don't do this often, but he woke me up and began to talk to me about something. I want you to turn in your Bible to a familiar passage, but turn with me to 1 Kings 19. 1 Kings 19. Now, you've heard me preach out of this passage before because it's one of my favorite in the world. This passage changed my life. I believe when you know what you're called to do, you have to study the scripture that pertains to your call. Now, you need to read all the scripture because all the scripture is good for life, for strength, for edification. But you need to study the scriptures that connect to your calling because that's how you feed your call. If you're called to worship, every scripture that has to do with worship, you ought to be feeding on it. You ought to have it in your belly. You should not have to look for words to express what you think about God. It should flow out of you normally. If you're called to healing ministry, every time Jesus healed somebody, you should be able to quote those stories verbatim. You should be able to talk about them when you wake up in the middle of the night. That should be something bubbling up out of you. If you're called to the prophetic, you should understand the life of the prophets. You should have been reading about Elijah, studying Jeremiah, looking at Isaiah, understanding Ezekiel. It should be so deep in you that it flows out of you normally. If you're called to intercession, you should understand why Elijah locked his head between his legs and began to pray. What it meant when Ruth and Naomi began to have a conversation. What it looked like when they got between the horns of the altar and prayed until something happened. Your calling is not going to happen just because God called you. Your calling needs ammunition. And you will become what you feed yourself. And if you keep yourself empty, you cannot expect full manifestation. I'm going to say that again because some of you didn't catch it. If you keep yourself empty, do not expect full manifestation. What does that mean? The prophecy is true. But the manifestation is connected to you. How quickly it comes and to what level it manifests is dependent on what you feed yourself in the interim between the prophecy and the manifestation. If God says that he's called you to do something and you don't put that thing in your spirit, you don't feed yourself that thing, you don't prepare for that thing. Lack of preparation is the declaration to God you don't want it. If you prepare yourself for the thing, if you know the baby's coming and you paint the room and buy the clothes and get ready for the party, then everybody in your life recognizes you're valuing what's on the way. But if you make no preparation in the nine months since you found out you were pregnant and you act like, oops, I didn't know this was about to happen when your water breaks, do not call anyone to buy you what you had nine months to get. Because your lack of preparation is a sign you do not value it no matter how precious it is. So some of us need to stop telling everyone about our prophecies, our callings, our destinies, showing each other all of the moments in time that God has awakened us to destiny when we have not made one moment of preparation since the prophecy. Oh, we're going to walk this thing. Because it's an insult to God to let God speak out of eternity into time. And you take no time to prepare for eternity. Woo! Oh, I missed you on Wednesday. I'm going to get you today. <laughs> so God prepares us by first speaking. Now, the speaking of God is the opening of the ear of man so that what's in your heart can be transformed. God speaks not to just enlighten the ear. God speaks to ignite the heart. So when God speaks, he's setting a fire inside of your heart. God does not waste words. He does not waste time. He does not waste motion. So God speaks because he's about to move, but God will not move until he speaks. So don't ask God to speak if you haven't done anything since he spoke. And don't ask God to move if you've done nothing with his words. So we're asking for revival, but we've made no preparation since he prophesied revival. And we're asking for souls to be saved, but we've made no preparation since he said salvation was coming. 
And we've asked God to visit our cities, but we've made no preparation since he said the cities would be changed and transformed. So the key is preparation. So how bad do you want it? Because if you're not willing to do anything that you can do, then you have no right to ask God what he can do. It's a beautiful partnership and a divine relationship. It goes like this. Jesus says, I'll heal you, but walk to me. I'll fill you with the Holy Ghost, but ask me for him. I'll save your house, but forgive them. I'll heal your marriage, but bless them. So God says in the midst of what you're waiting for me to do, I've got some stuff I need you to do. Why? Because you doing it is not showing your power. It's showing your humility. And wherever the humble bow, God reigns. So he will show the kingdom where we bow. So my question is, if you want to see the kingdom, are you willing to bow before the throne? Now, if you're going to bow before the throne, that means his will, not your will, is preeminent. His way, not your way, wins. His word, not your word, rules. His idea, not your idea, trumps everything. So God says the way I'm going to release my kingdom is by getting you to do something you don't want to do. And then I'm going to watch you die. So God says, why? Because nobody makes it through here alive. This is good already. I'm having fun already. See, everybody has to understand that God's idea is he's going to exchange his life for your life. That's what Calvary was about. So please stop asking him to give you what he already gave you. Stop begging for life. He gave you life. Stop begging for healing. Receive it. Stop begging to be delivered. Walk in it. Stop begging for a new mind. Transform it. Stop begging to stop cussing. Shut up. So there's some stuff we need to stop asking God for and simply allow it to manifest. Now, how do you allow it to manifest? You have to take what he gave you, apply it. That's the preparation. And in the midst of preparation, manifestation comes. God said, so while you're quoting healing scriptures, the healing that I already gave you begins to manifest. You didn't make it happen. It flowed through you as you prepared for what was already given you. How does the deliverance come? As you begin to transform your thinking by the renewing of your mind, reading scripture every day, Casting down every high thing that exalts itself against God. So don't just read the Bible, turn off stupid stuff. Don't just quote the word, stop talking to crazy people. And while you're doing the transformation, God said, I'll manifest a new mind in the middle of your old world just because you transformed by doing what you could do. So never ask God to do what you won't partner with him for. Partnership, kingdom, the authority of God. Now, 1 Kings 19, I hadn't even read a scripture yet. Let's read a scripture. 1 Kings 19, let's go to verse 15. Now, you've heard me talk about this before, but I have to dig back into this. And the Lord said unto him, he's talking to Elijah, go return on thy way to the wilderness of Damascus. And when you come, anoint Hazael to be king over Syria. Jehu, the son of Nimshi, shalt thou anoint to be king over Israel. And Elisha, the son of Shaphat of Abimeloha, shalt thou anoint to be prophet in thy room. And it shall come to pass that him that escapes the sword of Hazael, Jehu shall slay. Him that escapes from the sword of Jehu, Elisha shall slay. Yet I have left me 7,000 in Israel, all the knees of which have not bowed unto Baal, and every mouth which have not kissed him. I'm going to talk about the season of being mantled. The season of being mantled. When we talk about mantling, I want to just talk about this. Many times when people have talked about mantles, anointings, callings, giftings, 
We almost try to wrap it all up into the same thing, but it's not. A gift is what God has put inside of you that has been in you for a long time and God begins to make manifest of it as you begin to yield to him. But that gift is there. Some of you were gifted in communication. You were as a kid talking all the time, could get anybody to give you their candy, give you their toys, but that gift was in you. You had a tongue that wouldn't quit. You had a that great imagination. You couldn't move a whole room. That was a gift God always put in you. You just didn't know that you were called to move people for the kingdom, but that thing was always in you. Some of you always had dreams as little kids. Why? Because the fivefold is not something you become. You're born it. I'm going gonna, I'm gonna to walk this thing today. The gifts of the spirit are given by God when the Holy Ghost comes into you. But fivefold, you are born. Let me make it clear. Paul said, I was born an apostle. When the Lord is talking to Jeremiah, he said, you were a prophet from your mother's womb. Every prophet was born a prophet. They didn't know they were a prophet till God spoke, but they were born a prophet, which is why they're having dreams as little kids and saying, Mama, I don't know why, but I just feel like something's going to happen. Why? Because it was always there, which is why the enemy came up with a way to fight them when they were little. Which is why most prophetic kids have these terrifying dreams because the enemy's trying to haunt them in their sleep. Fivefold, you're born. Now, hear me. That's why it's important that when you see your kids begin to get stirred by God, you've got to get them under the anointing and into the presence of God. Why? Because the enemy wants to get those called giftings and pervert them early. So that you've got somebody who should be a prophet, but now they're reading horoscopes. Because they have a sense that they can feel something's about to happen, but they have not yet been given to the Holy Spirit so that they are subject to the will of God and the kingdom of God. So now every wind that blows moves them because now they're moved by the gifting instead of the giver. Which is why you have people who have been down through history. They were born apostles. But they were never yielded to the spirit. So they built stuff that destroyed instead of healed. Woo. Is this helping anybody? Okay. When you look at fivefold ministry, I'm going to make it clear. This was not something I was going to teach on today, but the Lord put this in my spirit. Fivefold ministry is born fivefold. But they cannot walk it. Until the Lord puts his hand upon them and calls them into it. Otherwise, they will build after their own model. Which is why we have people who are called by God, but they keep building stuff that looks like them, that has their identity, that acts like them. So it becomes dangerous because it fights the will of God, because if it doesn't look like them, they won't support it. Which is why Paul, who was born an apostle, who knew he was an apostle, he comes into the kingdom and Ananias has to lay hands on him. Barnabas has to tutor him. He has to spend 14 years away from the rest of the apostles. Why? I had to sit in God's presence until my identity became fully immersed in him so that I didn't bring this religious mindset into a kingdom ministry so that I didn't begin to operate going out to the Gentiles with the ferocity of a born-again rebellious man. So I had to die so I could learn to live. I had to get away from people so I could finally help them. I had to learn to close my mouth so God could let me open it again. I was born with this, but I wasn't trustworthy yet. Ah, I was called to be this, but I wasn't ready to act like it. So God has this thing in you, but you can't become it until you let God refine you. And how does God refine you? Fire. Fire. God will put you in the fire. God will let you get toasted like a marshmallow, roasted like a hot dog, cooked like a weenie on a roast. 
Yes, he will. And then God will look at you and say, "Mm -mm, not crispy yet. Oh, yes, he will. Oh, yes, he will. And just when you go, Lord, it's too much. I don't even want to do this anymore. He goes, now you're ready. Because as long as your desire to do it is greater than your need to not be seen. If your passion for ministry is greater than your passion for God. If your need for the platform is greater than your need for his presence. If your need for a microphone is greater than your need to serve. You are not ready. And if you cannot be corrected, rebuked, chastened, told you're wrong, if nobody can tell you you missed it, if nobody can tell you I'm not sure you heard God, if nobody can make you question it twice or pray about it three times, your pride is greater than your wisdom. And you cannot be trusted. Why? Because ain't nobody wonderful but Jesus. Are y'all all right? Okay. God speaks and says, I need you to get these and bring them forward because I'm about to raise up teams who are going to move in their destiny. And I want you to go and find this Elisha. When he goes on and finds Elisha, you know the story, but he finds Elisha and Elisha is plowing with 12 yoke of oxen. Now, the prophet of God, this man of God, who is anointed by God, who's walked as a prophet, who was an Old Testament apostolic voice, who represented Jesus in the Old Covenant, who we do not know of his mother nor his father. He comes out of nowhere like Jesus. He shows up working before the nation like Jesus. He calls fire out of heaven. Like Jesus, the Holy Ghost comes down. He restores a nation back unto itself. He confronts kingdoms, releases power, shows dominion, displays authority, does it all in the name of God, and then runs from a woman. (laughs) Took off. Because somebody said something on Facebook he didn't like. Somebody tweeted about him and he gets ha! <laughs> and the prophet lost his position because he was not secure in himself. I'm walking this thing. Some of us, we've been so busy trying to step into the next season, the anointing, be used by God, do something great, that we haven't finished the first work. And the first work is before you become great in your anointing, be secure in you. Before you go and touch the world, let God finish touching you. Before you try to move everybody with all of the things God has put inside of you, make sure the enemy can no longer move you. He shook a nation with the power of God and then was so insecure in himself that Jezebel leans out a window. Why? Because she was scared of him. Look at the story. She's terrified of him because he just hacked to death. Hacked. Cut up. Turned into hamburger meat. 450 prophets of Baal. And when you look at the story, it says that another 400 prophets were also killed. So Elijah himself, with his own sword, kills at least 450, if not 850 prophets. He kills them himself. Nobody else helped him. The Bible says, does not record anybody running to his aid. It says the people pretty much cooked popcorn and watched the show. The people wanted to see if fire was going to fall from heaven. The people wanted to see if God was going to answer him. God shows up with power and this man goes crazy in the Holy Ghost and starts hacking folk. Now I want you to think about this. The level of anointing that was on him that caused his enemies to stand still until he killed them. The level of anointing that comes on you 
God says, when you are in the place I've called you to be, doing the thing I've called you to be, I don't need you worried about your enemies, chasing devils, screaming at each other. I can make the devil stand still till you kill him. If you are in your position, doing what you're called to do, God will hold your enemies in place till the gift in you dispossesses them. Which is why God says the gift he gave you will make room for you. Not your mouth. Not manipulation. Not side room agreements. God said if you'll just work your gift. Don't try to be great, just work your gift. Don't try to be seen, just work your gift. Don't try to become somebody of important, work your gift. If you'll just stand in the place God puts you, don't compete, don't fight, don't argue, just stand right there and do the one thing he gave you to do. Your gift will start pushing every false prophet, every lying spirit, every spirit of poverty, every spirit of bondage, every competitive spirit. Your gift will make room for you. Until you don't have to figure out who's in your way. God just gave you devil-free territory. Just by working your gift. So he says, stop trying to figure out how to be like somebody else. Work your gift. The one thing you know you're good at, work that thing. Do that thing. If you can't do nothing but sing one song, sing that song till everything in your house gets anointed. If all you know how to do is pray, get up in the morning praying, walk around at lunch praying, go to bed praying, but let the gift make room for you. Don't be nobody but you, but work your gift. And work your gift till everything that's been against you has to bow and serve the Lord. Work your gift. There's a whole lot of stuff I'm not good at. Hear me. And I don't try to be good at stuff I'm not good at. I have learned years ago the art of not competing. There is nothing in me that needs to compete. When somebody says, well, I can do that better... Work it, baby. Well, I think I can do that better than you can. Well, show me. Why? Because I know what I'm good at. And I know what he's called me to do. And while I'm doing what I'm good at, if you do what you're good at, and you do what you're good at, what would happen if we all worked our gift at the same time? Oh! If we all start working our gift, if the promise is your gift will make room, then that means God has to make room for you. Then he's making room for you. Then he's making room for you while he's making room for me, which means we just got some more territory delivered from demonic oppression just by working our gift. So somewhere in here, the enemy tries to whisper and get us dissatisfied with our own gifting. So that we then become competitive with people who were sent to complete you. So we were sent to complete each other. Because if God's making room for me while he's making room for you, then that just meant we just got a whole church free. Then when we keep working together, we got a whole neighborhood free. Then we keep working together. We get a whole city free. So the enemy says there's nothing I can do to stop the church from being the church. I can't take back what God gave them because it's in them. He didn't give them something external. What Jesus gave us is an internal power that brings external changes. So the devil cannot take from you anything God gave you. God will not take from you anything he gave you for the gifts and callings of God are without repentance. So if the devil can't take it and God won't take it, the only way to get us to lose momentum is to get us to lay down our giftings by competing 
with each other. Paul said some of you are asleep. Some of you are even dead. Because you did not discern the Lord's body. He's not talking about communion. He says because you did not discern the Lord's body. The body. The body. The body. The body. The body. He said because you did not discern that Sheila has the healing you need. So while I was busy criticizing Sheila. If I had just yielded to the gift she was bringing, then while she was worshiping, I could have got healed. But I couldn't get healed because I didn't discern that that was the Lord. That there was a deliverance that my family needed. That I could have got my whole house set free. And while Sandra was praying, the power of God was moving, but I'm hearing her praying going, I just don't know if I pray like that. I don't know if I want to pray like that. Why she got to pray that strong? So while I'm critiquing the oil that was coming to set me free, I miss my deliverance because I did not discern the Lord's body. While I'm trying to figure out why are they singing that song one more time? Do they have to repeat the lyric again? Could we not move on from here? Oh, Lord, one more time. <laughs> oh, I feel you. I'm in the room with you. And while that's happening, the Holy Ghost is grabbing hearts and trying to woo you out of the week you've been in and pull you into the glory that he's got for you. But we can't step in because we're so busy judging the song that we can't find the worship. Because we did not discern the Lord's body. So he makes it clear to us. He says, you first have to understand that before you ask me for another level of anointing to come on you, discern the anointing that's around you. Discern the Lord's body. Discern that when Russ Miller is walking by somebody and he goes and puts his hand on them, that's the Lord touching them to bring healing. Because I've seen him in a restaurant pray for folks and they get healed. I ain't doing them trying to eat my hors d'oeuvres in the restaurant. You better come to us if you're in the restaurant sick because I'm going to let you go home like that. I'm like, after this, I'll pray for you. But don't mess with me till. Okay. <laughs> I'll pray for you. I will. I will. I will. Afterwards. <laughs> Some of y'all laughing because you think I'm kidding. That you must discern the Lord's body that if you go anywhere near Gary and Debbie, the presence of God is going to get on you to where the love of God begins to pull you in while the presence of God begins to transform you. That's just discerning the Lord's body. But what if you didn't discern? I was praying for a lady. She came up to me. She said, would you pray for me? I said, sure. Little old lady. Little old lady. I mean, old. You know, some folks is old and then some people knew Jesus. You know, they just, I mean, just old, just old, just old for no reason. Old, just, just old, just old. And I was praying for, some of y'all ain't laughing because you that old, but I was praying for. And I prayed a nice prayer. Oh, Lord, bless her. Father, bless her. Just, just do something nice for her. You know, it was, it was a good prayer. It was better than that. You know, I, you know, I went into tongues a little bit, shook a little bit, but it was good. And, you know, she did the compensatory. You know, she shook a little bit back like, you know, that Holy Spirit stuff we do just make each other feel good about it. I shake a little bit while I pray. You shake a little bit when you receive. And then we all like, woohoo, something happened. And she went on about her business. And then she came back. She said, can I pray for you? And I thought, oh. Oh, okay. Yes, grandmama, you can pray for me. I just come back from being overseas. I mean, we've just been casting devils out. We've been preaching in front of several thousand. 
man with blind eyes came open. Watched several people get out of wheelchairs. I'm like, okay, come on, yeah. Come on, Grandma. What you got? Did not discern the Lord's body. So busy trying to be in my flow that I wasn't paying attention to her flow. So busy trying to make sure she understood that I was the man of God that I was missing. She was the servant of God, the woman of God who had built more churches than I'd even preached in at that time. She says, can I pray for you, son? I said, the next thing I remember. No, 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 no. Linda, it wasn't one of them cute falls. No, no, no. I flew. I flew like somebody had punched me and threw me in the air. I went back in the air and they caught me. I'm on the floor twisted up like this. And I'm thinking in my head, I should not be here. Lord, I prayed for her and she did that and walked away. And I'm, I can't get up. And I said to the Lord, Lord, who is this? And I literally heard the Lord laugh. He said, oh, you ignorant child. You're going to be here for a while. That's all he said. I went, oh, Lord. I opened my eyes and she was just looking at me. She said, oh, dear. I'm going to pray for you again. I thought, I can't take no more. I already look like somebody done hit me. I'm just, she said, oh, Lord. Just fill him up more than this. And it was like somebody plugged me into electricity. I began to shake on the ground until one of my shoes came off. Now that's when you get into ugly Holy Ghost territory. You know, when stuff starts shaking off of you, that's just unseemly. You, you can't explain that. And in my head, I'm going, I'm, I'm, I, 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 I no. Got one shoe off. Now there's a crowd coming around because everybody's going to you. Isn't that the preacher on the ground? Yeah, that's the preacher on the ground. Now she recognizes God's doing something so she won't leave me alone. Oh, give him more, Lord. And I'm going, would you please leave me alone? Give him more. Give him more. Oh, Jesus, he needs it. He's just dry. <laughs> Up until that moment, I thought I was wet. <laughs> and then God messed me up and I realized that I had a gift but she had a mantle huh. I had a gift I was operating out of my gift I knew how to do what I was gifted to do what I was called to do but she knew how to walk with a mantle what's a mantle a mantle is when Time has matured your gift so that God increases your authority. See, it's one thing to have a gift, but it's another thing when God begins to increase the authority. The increase of authority is when God says, now I'm giving you permission. Now I'm giving you permission. Now I'm giving you permission. <laughs> <laughs> now I'm giving you permission that what I gave you, I'm now letting you walk in it. Now this, we're talking about mantling this morning. See, there's a gift that we have. Everybody in this room has a gift. And before we can step into the season, I believe God's about to start mantling this church and mantling people in this church with the authority to let your gift change atmospheres, cities, and nations. Your gift touches people, but mantles change regions. And God is taking us to the place where he's saying, you've been carrying this thing around inside of you all this time. But would you step into it long enough 
continually enough that what's in you can come up on you. So that now you become known by what was in you. See, there's a lot of folks who sing in worship. But then there are folks who are known as worshipers. Who when they walk in a room, they open their mouth and something changes. There's a lot of people who know that they have a gift of prayer. But then there's a handful of people that when they open their mouth and begin to pray, everything changes. There's a lot of people that can preach the gospel. But then there's a handful of folks that by the preaching of the gospel, they change cities and nations. There's a lot of people that can do business, but there are some folks who you are gifted that your business is going to break poverty and change territories. There's a lot of people that have gifts. God said, but I need you to stop playing with the gift and work your gift. Do it on purpose. So that every time we see you, we expect that what's in you shall be on you. That's the purpose of what a mantle was for, is that every time they took a step, we didn't have to wonder if that was the prophet. He walked underneath what he was given. And we didn't have to wonder if that was a priest. He walked underneath what he was given. And we didn't have to wonder if that person had a healing ministry. They walked underneath what they had been given. Because everywhere they went, atmospheres changed. Something responded. Something supernatural happened. Thank you. Something supernatural happened. See, I like the fact she kept it on. <laughs> I was waiting to see if Tony kept it on. I'm going to give you one more scripture. Are you, is this all right this morning? Is this helping anybody? We're going to look at one more scripture that goes with this. And then we're going to do some Holy Spirit stuff. Turn to 2 Kings chapter 3. 2 Kings chapter 3. We see here that Elijah has been, he's heard from God. To go and call, not yet, to go and call Elisha, Elijah, Elisha and Hazael and Jehu. We see that in 1 Kings 19. But when we get to 2 Kings chapter 3, something phenomenal has happened. And, and I'll let you read later on in the passages where he puts the mantle on him. But I talked about that. The prophet is plowing with 12 yoke of oxen. As he's plowing with the oxen, it says that it, Elijah comes by and he sees him and he takes the mantle that was on his shoulders and he throws it upon Elisha. When Elisha feels the mantle hit him, he recognizes, now hear me, he doesn't get new gifts. He got a mantle. You're not getting new gifts. Most of you already have enough gifts in you to change the world. But you don't yet believe your gifts can change the world. You've allowed the past and fear and intimidation and what people have said about you to convince you that your gifts are small and unnecessary and inadequate. You compare yourself with someone else who may have already been working their gift for 10, 20 years. And you go, well, if I can't do it like that, one of the worst things in the world and I've had to deal with it in many places, is I see a lot of people who are true prophets of God, called to be prophets of God, have great anointing upon them. And if I'm up teaching or ministering or preaching, I have seen them often put their gift into a bag and not prophesy, not minister, which is why there are times I stay away on purpose because the worst thing you can do when prophets are around, that's when you want to prophesy. You need to flow because it pulls your gift into another level and helps you get comfortable in it. But a lot of people, when they see prophets flow or they see healing ministry flow, they shut themselves down because the world tells you if you can't do it at that level, don't do it at all. So a lot of people will say after they've seen me minister or will do something or you'll be in a healing ministry with someone else. 
they'll back up and go, well, I'll wait. I've had people say, well, I had a prophetic word, but I didn't want to come down because you were prophesying. I've been prophesying 25 years. I'm not going to forget my word just because you came down. Now, I'm saying this on purpose. Because we cannot get to the next level as long as fear and intimidation convince you to throw away your gift. How do we get to the next level? You must believe that what you have is valuable. It's valuable. Second, you must not think that the church is the only place you're supposed to use it. Stop waiting for a microphone. Because you're not going to get the microphone unless you're willing to do it without the microphone. Be willing to flow wherever God puts you. Third, recognize his gift in you was his choosing. So by you denying what he chose to give you, you're calling God unwise. I'm not that bold. I'll never call God crazy. If he gave it to me, I'm going to use it till the day I die. Because he chose to give it. So what could your world look like if you kept agreeing with God? The mantle comes upon the prophet. He looks at Elijah and says, give me one moment, sir. I have to go back and serve my parents. Now, won't you? I have to go back and serve my parents. I have to go back and serve my parents. The mantle of the prophet just came on him. The head prophet in the nation. The chief minister of Israel. The guy who just killed all the false prophets. Who is anointed like no other was anointed. Who's seeing angels calling food out of nowhere. Running in the power of God. Throws a mantle on him and he says, hold on, dude. I cannot go with you until I honor my parents. One of the keys to receiving a mantle is you must understand that the mantle does not alleviate nor relieve you of family duty. No matter what your mantle to do, the mantle came because God knew he would honor his family. So you do not get to use your gift, your calling, your anointing as an excuse to ignore your husband, to ignore your wife, to ignore your kids, to not spend time with family. You don't get to use God as the reason that you are mean at home and nice at church. You don't get to use God as a reason that you break relationships and friendships with people he's told you to commit to. You do not get to use God as a reason for you ignoring where he put you. He said, I will do what God has called me to do, but wait a minute. My mama and my daddy. Now the prophet says this. What did I do to you? Have I done anything? Elijah acts like he didn't throw them out. Elijah said, dude, go do what you want to do. I've done nothing to you. Why is this important? The next thing, your mentor is not your friend. <laughs> oh, we're going to walk this through. When God mantles you, he will never mantle you or put more spiritual authority in your life without putting a mentor near you to walk you through the process. Because the greater the spiritual requirements, the more God knows somebody has to speak into your life because you have not walked this way before. Gifting does not need a mentor. 
you can go on YouTube and learn how to work your gift. You can go on YouTube and teach yourself to play an instrument, to cook a meal, to write a book. So you don't need a mentor for the gift, but to become great at it, to become excellent, to increase your outreach, to become successful. God puts mentors in your life who can walk you past the landmines of resistance and step you into the honeypot of blessing without the stress that they had to walk through. And God will always put a mentor who is not called to be your friend. They are called to get you there. Elijah did not become Elisha's friend. I'm walking this. Uh, uh, I hope this is helping people. See, where God is taking us, God is going to bring more and more people around us who are going to need some of you in this room to mentor people, to get them to their next level by sharing your stories, what you've gone through, what you've succeeded, where you failed. God wants you to be open and honest so you can walk people through to their greater level of maturity. But you can't walk them to their maturity if every person God brings you, you are so lonely or desperate that you're going to try to make everybody he brings to you a friend when he put them in your life to be a student. So Elijah sees him and says, what did I do to you? Why? He didn't respond like someone who was after a friend. He responded like a teacher. He said, if you are going to go back home, go home. Why? Because I did nothing to you. What I did was in obedience to God. This was not my choice. God sent me on a mission. So God sent me to infect you and then watch your response. God sent me to stir you and then watch your response. God sent me to annoy you and then watch your response. And the prophet, the young prophet, turns and says, I'm ignoring everything you just said. After I honor my family, I'm following you. What does that mean? It is the mentee's job. It is the person who has received the mantle. It is the person who God is bringing up. It is your job to chase your mentor. It is not your mentor's job to chase you. To get to the next level, you have to be willing to go after someone teaching you what you need to know. It is not the job of anybody else to chase you and say, I see gifting in you. How can I raise you up? If you want to grow, you've got to say, give me what you have and I'm not getting out of your face until you do. Why? Because if you want it bad enough, you'll make somebody help you. Why? Because I'm just going to say this. Because as mentors, as teachers, as ministers, many of you in this room, and I know I have, down through the 25 years I've been in ministry now, 20, 25 years, I'm getting old. Lord have mercy. Well, yeah, not as old as you, Russ. So, <laughs> I have had, down through the years, I have had, honestly, Probably uh, at least a thousand, if not a couple thousand people who have written me phenomenal letters. Seeing me in person. I want you to mentor me. I want you to pour into me. I want you to. And I, I respond saying, okay. And I keep on moving. Why? Because if you want it, you'll find me. I spent the first few years trying to pour everything I had into people who didn't want it. And it leaves you frustrated. You spend all night praying for people who God never put on your list. I spent time chasing people who were going through trouble. And the Lord said to me, I never even told you to connect. And because they asked, I responded. And then I realized, wait a minute. What did I do to you? Whatever God is doing, it's on you to find it. And if you want it. A young man who I mentored and saw his life become phenomenal. He literally called me six different times and I said, no, I'm not going to mentor you. I don't have the time. He called me the last time. He said, listen, he said, unless you go to the police and tell them I'm stalking you, 
God has told me you have something I need. He said, I've learned from other people. He said, I'm not saying you're phenomenal. Yeah, no, 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 no. He said, but in the area of the prophetic, I need to learn this from you. He said, business, I'm getting somebody else to mentor me. He said, over here, I'm getting somebody else. He said, but for this, you're going to mentor me. When I hung up the phone, the Lord said, and I knew I was supposed to mentor him, but I could not do it until he was actually after it. When I hung up the phone that time, the Lord said, now he's ready. Now, I'm going to make this plain. Some of us are so busy trying to make sure nobody thinks we need something. We're so busy always explaining that we know what everybody else knows. And I've been to that conference too. And I've read that book. The level of pride that we're displaying by continually explaining that we don't need help kills our destiny. Because the moment God put some things in my life, I immediately picked up the phone and said, I know you've been doing this for 10 years and I have not. Tell me what I need to know. I drove hours to people's homes to sit with them at night and pray and learn how to pray like they prayed. Because every time they prayed, mountains moved. And when I prayed, sometimes yes, sometimes no. I went to people who were doing ministry in other states and said, I know you've raised the dead. I have never seen the dead raised. I'm going to sit around you every chance I get till I understand what you're carrying. I got around people who when they sang in worship and they begin to sing in tongues, you could feel everything in the room began to shake. I literally would go stand right beside them. I had one lady say to me, she said, why are you always so close? I said, I don't know how close I have to be, but I'm getting what you got. There's a pursuit that has to be in you. If God's going to put something on your life that changes everybody else around you. And it cannot be lazy and it cannot be lackadaisical. You have to be committed that if God opens the door a little bit, I'm going to run in the room and take everything I can. If God lets this thing land on my shoulder, I'm going to walk around with it for the rest of my life. If God lets me get next to that, I'm going to walk in this until I see Jesus face to face. If everybody else wasted, I will use this oil. But God, give it to me lest I die. And he'll give it where there's hunger. The question is, how bad do you want it? The mantle comes. Now I'm going to read this scripture. We're almost done. I feel the presence of God this morning. Second Kings three. But Jehoshaphat said, verse 11. But Jehoshaphat said, is there not here a prophet of the Lord? that we may inquire of the Lord by him. And one of the king of Israel's servants answered and said, Here is Elisha, the son of Shephat, which poured water on the hands of Elijah. And Jehoshaphat said, The word of the Lord is with him. So the king of Israel and Jehoshaphat and the king of Edom went down to him. And Elisha said to the king, What have I to do with thee? Get thee to the prophets of your father, to the prophets of your mother. And the king of Israel said unto him, No, for the Lord have called these three kings together to deliver them into the hand of Moab. Now hear this next verse. Elisha said, As the Lord of hosts lives, before whom I stand, surely were it not that I regard the presence of Jehoshaphat, the king of Judah, I would not look toward thee nor see thee, but now bring me a minstrel. And it came to pass when the minstrel played that the hand of the Lord came upon him. When the mantle came upon the prophet, first he said, I can't go with you because I have to honor my family. He honored his family before the prophet came to him. He had been a businessman, a servant, a worker. The mantle of God comes upon him and it transforms him in an instant but understand the mantle hit him, but he didn't prophesy. The mantle came upon him, but he did not prophesy. He followed the prophet and did not prophesy. He's around Elijah 
We never hear of Elisha giving one prophetic word until after the prophet is gone. The Bible says they had the sons of the prophets. How many of you have heard that term, the sons of the prophets? Now, I want to make a distinction here. Here's where I'm going. This is part of what this is about this morning. You heard about the sons of the prophets, and he says, I have 7,000 who have been fed. And probably teaches, it was probably Obadiah who was taking the bread. He's feeding the prophets who are hiding so they will not be killed. 7,000 who did not bow their knee. And those 7,000 were really the worshipers that were raised up later that invaded the nation. But you have these 7,000 now who are hiding in caves. You have Elijah who's going around doing the works and the wonders of God. And then you have this Elisha who's working in business, taking care of his family, plowing with 12 yoke of oxen, not with the rest of the servants. And he does not prophesy and we do not hear of any of the rest of them prophesying. What does this mean? The mantle comes on him and he doesn't prophesy. Because when God calls you out, that is not the sign that your ministry has begun. It is the sign your training has begun. The prophecy was not permission to do ministry. The prophecy was permission to get prepared. And many of us, because we think that a prophetic word or someone speaking over us, that gives us license to go do anything and everything that has to do with that word at that moment. That's why we don't have success. The prophecy was not God saying, go do it. The prophecy was God saying, get prepared. The prophetic word came so that you could begin to make ready. So that you could begin to get yourself and your house and everything ready for what was coming. And God says, don't run. Prepare. Get ready. Get everything in your house in order. So that when the moment comes, when do you know the moment comes? When God sends you out. How do you know you've been sent out? When your season of prep is done. Now, you will do lots of ministry while you're being prepared. But the preparation protects you from destruction. Preparation protects you from destruction. Most people have hardship in ministry because nobody mentored them. Most people have failure in their future because nobody prepared them. And most people fall because they never let anybody tell them no. But if you let someone prepare you, what does this scripture say about Elisha? When they said, is there a prophet? It says like this. Yes, there is that guy who poured water on the hands of Elijah. It doesn't say the prophet. It doesn't say we've heard of his gifting and his anointing. It says we heard he served well. There is a guy who poured water on the prophet's hands. That guy knows how to prophesy. How do we know he can prophesy? He stayed so close to that prophet that when that prophet moved on, he put everything on his shoulders. Everything landed on his shoulders. When that prophet shifted, this one got trusted with everything. God doesn't just want to give you ministry. He wants to trust you with destiny. Destiny. That there are places and people and cities and nations that God says, I am trusting that when you set your foot there, it will change everything forever. And when you stand up, your voice will bring rain. And when you begin to pray, I'll break the back of the enemy off their life. And when you begin to speak the word of the Lord, I will cause there to be a shifting in eternal properties. And I will bring to them everything they've been waiting for. And I just need to know 
Can I trust you? So how does God trust you for that level of ministry and anointing? He waits to see if you can pour water. Can you pour water? I'm just asking a question. Can you pour water? How many of you have ever poured water out of a bottle? Okay. Do you know how simple that is to describe the guy who's going to be the double portion of Elijah? He worked twice the number of miracles of Elijah. He represents the church. If Elijah represents Jesus, Elisha represents the church. That if Elijah represented the one sent from God, Elisha represents the one mantled by God. That if Elijah represents Jesus rising up in the clouds of glory, that Elisha represents the one left behind seeing him go, which is the church like as you've seen him rise up. Church, you shall see him come again in his glory. Like as the Holy Ghost came upon them in the upper room, so the mantle came upon him. Like as Jesus was baptized in Jordan, here comes the prophet in the water. It's the two representations of Christ and the church. And here is Elisha, the church, the church called to work double portion. You shall do greater works than I do double portion because I go away up in the chariot. I leave you, but I leave a mantle. I go up on the clouds like a chariot, but I left a mantle, the Holy Ghost. And now that you've been mantled, First, you have to go back and honor your mother and your father. What does that speak of? He said, look to the rock from which you were cut and the pit from which you were dug. What does that speak of? The church and the word. He says, make sure you honor the word and the church. You'll never be so anointed that you can disrespect the church. And you'll never be so full of revelation that your idea exceeds scripture. He said, so while you're walking it out, make sure those 12 yoke of oxen, what does that speak of? It speaks of the government of God. He said, if you don't know how to work with God's government, you will never be mantled. He said, now that I'm putting something on your shoulders, it's because you've been in government, because you've walked in order, because you stayed submitted, because you knew how to work with each other. He said, now that you know how to work with each other, don't let it get to your head. Keep honoring the people you came out from. Don't ever get so full of new revelation that you start criticizing the people that raised you. People gave you the best they had with what they knew. Don't ever criticize where you came from. Don't start criticizing and critiquing the people who poured life and oil and word into you. Just because you know something different than they knew then, they gave you their life. He said, so before you go forward, honor back. And if you can honor the people that raised you, God will send people to feed from you. Here he is, who speaks of the church, and he's pouring water on the hands of Elijah. The church pouring water on the hands of Jesus. The hands of Jesus. What's the hands of Jesus? What's, what would be the hands of the prophet? What would be ministry? Ministry. I'm not talking about preachers and pastors. I'm talking about ministry. He says, if we are going to receive a double portion, he is watching to see, can you pour water on the hands of ministry? What does that mean? It's not enough to just come receive. For the double portion to be released, God is asking some of us, when is the last time we served? See, I'm not Pastor Jim, so I, I can say some stuff. <laughs> you know, you know, y'all know, just so you know, you know, prophets say stuff pastors can't say. So, so I'm just going to say this. There's a level of service in this house that we have not reached. That we've got to up our game. You can get quiet, but I'm going to say it. This house is full of love. We are 
uh, phenomenal in love. The mercy of God and the love of God in this house is outrageous. The prophetic in this house is amazing. Everybody in this house can prophesy. Everybody, y'all wake up prophesying. You look at your refrigerator and go, thou shalt be full of food. I mean, it's amazing. You look in the mirror and go, ah, beautiful you are today. I don't, I, yeah, whether you prophesy on a line, I don't know. But so we, we speak the word of the Lord. Now, we do that well. We worship well. It's a house of worshipers. We do that well. What we have not always done well is serve. And we've got to up our game because many of us, now it's a house full of great servants, but we serve everywhere else. We don't always serve well here. You get mad at me later, but I'm going to tell you the truth today. Because to go where we need to go to have this level of anointing increase, God does not put mantles on people who are not servants. The Lord said to me when he called me years ago, he said, after I'd been traveling, he said, it's time for the anointing on your life to increase. I said, yes, Lord, give it to me. He said, no, it doesn't come like that. I said, well, how does it come? He said, you're going to serve. And I remember when he told us to join a church. It was a very well-known church, a very popular church. And when we got to that church, he said to me, you are not to tell them you're a preacher. You're not to tell them that you prophesy. You're not to tell them anything about yourself. You're to go in and you are to join the prayer ministry and serve in prayer. We showed up. My sister was with me. She began to work in the children's ministry because she had a little boy. I began to work in the church as well. We began to show up in prayer. Now, this is after I'd been preaching since I was 16. This is, I had a full-time job also. She had a full-time job. And we had her little boy, my nephew, living in the house. We still showed up 20 minutes before every service to find out if they needed help. It was a church of about 900 people. We helped greet at the door. I then served in prayer. Two nights a week, I was at the church before going to work because I worked third shift. I would show up and pray for two to three hours in the church, then go to work, then get off work. And because we were working with Pray California, stirring up prayer across the state, I would drive four to six hours to go do prayer meetings at other people's churches to serve them in prayer, stirring up revival at their churches, then come back, sleep for four hours and go back to work. Never once complained, never once told anybody that it was too much, never because the Lord said to get where you're going you're going to have to serve your way into it and it was a privilege to serve because I knew where God was taking me no that doesn't need applause that's normal Christian life and somehow we transform the idea of service into whenever I can I will that's not service how bad do you want it because for where God's taking us this is not, and please don't take it this way. I hope I'm not coming across too strong. But we've got to reach the next level. When you love something, you do it with all your heart. My commitment has always been that whatever I'm going to give you, I'm going to give you the best sermon I can. I'm going to study for days before I get up here. I'm going to make sure that when I come to the house of God, I'm going to pour out everything that's in me. That's my desire. That's been my commitment. So what I'm asking is can we all just determine that we're going to give God our best?